Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Puppies and kitties, books and movies. Yes, we love these. Listen to this podcast, please. This is Book Squad Goals, and today we're going to be talking about Station Eleven, and this is Emily. This was my book that I picked. However, this was a listener request from a, a listener named Todd, who is actually here with us today. What? what? So me. I thought, since it was a listener request, and Todd has been so patiently waiting for us to talk about this book, that we would actually let him lead the discussion today. Thank you. So, yeah, Yay. I think you had a um, a good question for us to start with, so I'm going to let you take it away. Okay. Hey, guys. It's me, Todd. Uh, Todd. Hi, Todd. It's Todd. Todd of um, Todd. Here's my icebreaker. What Shakespeare play and what role would you like to die while performing? <laughs> this is a comp- This is an advanced icebreaker. Yeah. I think we're going to learn some deep stuff about it is. Good thing I read it earlier and thought about it. I will go first because yeah. I thought about it for like two seconds. And I thought, Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream. Because I'd be like uh, kind of a fun guy, get to monologue a lot, and then die. Yeah. Do you want to be Good fun choice. while you're dying, though? Why? Why not? Why be miserable while dying? Oh, mine's about to be That's, tragic, yeah. you guys. <laughs> All right. Well, go All ahead. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, before you think this is a cliche answer, I am picking Romeo and Juliet, and I am picking Juliet. Wait, who are you? Oh, I'm Susan. Hey. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> Who's that? I'm Juliet. I would right, want right, right. my death to occur in the actual death scene, but she would die before mm-hmm. Romeo, and people would be like, what's going on? And it would take a really long time for the audience to figure out that I was actually dying. So you're envisioning, like... I want to make a scene. A very specific stage. Oh yeah, I want to. I'm gonna make a scene. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I. Cool. I am Mary. One time, I really just want to be like, I'm Kelly. Threw me along for the whole episode. Um, I think my favorite Shakespeare play is Hamlet. Close second, Titus Andronicus. And Titus Andronicus has lots of good deaths in it, 
but I still have got to go with Hamlet. Hamlet. Hamlet's death from Hamlet. Mm-hmm. Nice. Look, guys, that's this that's a is classic. Good. All right. Well, but it would be choice. like a unique staging because you know, like woman Hamlet. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. my choice is also from Hamlet, but I was going to say Ophelia. Mm. Mm-hmm. Especially she after stage, though. we watched Emily and I went to see Hamlet. But and, she like, can The do, way that they did Ophelia's It death doesn't have to be a death scene. It could be like yeah. anything. Okay, okay. But, yeah, because you're like, going to die. Think yeah, on this. You, and all is mended. The and then I fall die. over. I just want yeah, my death to occur Ophelia. during <laughs> the death scene, but out of order so that it's confusing. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah. Uh, anyway, really go good. ahead, Kelly. It's Kelly's turn. Yeah, everyone shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> my God, sorry. <laughs> Hamlet is my favorite Shakespeare yes. play. So I – and I just like Ophelia. I like her character. I thought uh, – I think she's really interesting and I would, li- I would like to be doing something where I'm kind of like acting insane while I'm going to die, mm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, girl. She has a good like pre-death, yeah, speech. Mono, yeah. She goes. But crazy. would Oscar Isaac be Hamlet? Duh. <laughs> I mean, I either him or you. Those oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. We could be in the die. same thing. That's a yeah, really yeah. tragic oh. play when two of the actors just die. Well, I'm gonna be in yeah. the same play as Susan. Hi, this is Emily, um, and I would pick Romeo and Juliet. And I actually pulled up what I would read before I die. So I'm going to read it. Ah. <clears throat> and it's, this was actually, I'm just going to like, I have a, a story behind this, which is why I picked it. Um, as a kid, I used to have my mom read me Romeo and Juliet before I went to sleep at night. And Normal dark. kid things. <laughs> What's that? Normal kid things. Yeah. Look, I, I grew up in a bougie house. I'm not even going to lie about it. So You had professor parents. Yeah. I also listened to Swan Lake. While I was going to sleep, um, but normal kids, yeah, stuff. normal kids stuff. But this was actually my favorite thing for her to read to me before I went to bed at night, um, which is kind of fucked up. So I, I feel like it would be the right thing for me to um, say before I die. Um, and I'm going to skip the other person talking because fuck Romeo, nobody likes him. All right. Um, no, tis not so deep as a well, nor so wide as a church door, but tis enough, twill serve. Ask for me tomorrow, and you shall find me a grave man. I am peppered, I warrant, for this world. A plague of both your houses, a zound, a dog, a rat, a mouse, a cat, to scratch a man to death, a braggart, a rogue, a villain that fights by the book of arithmetic. Why the devil came you between us? I was hurt under your arm. Help me into some house, Vinvolio, Vinvolio or I shall faint. A plague of both your houses. They have made worms meat of me. I have it and soundly to your houses. Wow. I was going to ask, Ooh. is it Mercutio? Please be Mercutio. Yes. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Mercutio is the yeah. best in Romeo and And I don't see why Mercutio like, couldn't be a lady. Oh, we totally There's no reason. Mercutio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> is, is anyone watching Barry on HBO? No, but no? I've heard it's really yeah, good. It is really good. They do a scene with a gender flip Tamlet. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's really good. It's fun. So there's precedent for me. I think yeah. you could flip any of the genders of like any totally. of Shakespeare's characters. Was, and if you did the comedies, it would just make it flipping. even better. Yeah. So. All the com- all the comedies involve gender flipping. Anyway. Yeah. 
And another fun fact, I played Rosalind in As You Like It in high school. So I'm basically a Shakespearean actress. And then when we went to see As You Like It in grad school, you were like, "Mm." Yeah, they're staging strange. Uh, their class, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." I made uh, an extra credit video of me and one of my friends performing the balcony scene. That's also you're also Shakespearean. I we put Claire Danes and Leonardo DiCaprio's faces on popsicle oh. sticks and held them in front of our own faces, and then acted. That is the best movie. <laughs> I know. Ours was pretty good though, too. Yeah. <laughs> the bottom line is we're all nerds. Yeah. So this is weird. Um about the book. I right before I started reading it, I bought tickets to see King Lear. Ah. Um, at BAM, which was nearby me a theater, and I I had no idea what the book was about other than like apocalypticness. And I started reading it the day before I went to see King Lear and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me right now? And then when we went to the theater, I was like sitting in there and I was like, something terrible is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You're like grabbing your friend's That's arm so during that part of the play. Like, oh shit. Yes. I told him, I was like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, I'm really freaked out by the weird coincidence of this. Yeah. But. That's so funny. There's this Canadian TV show I mentioned to Mary mm-hmm. yesterday Degrassi. called Slings and Arrows. No, I wish. <laughs> Drake. Drake's in it. No. Drake is Hamlet. Drake should be in and every it's... Canadian production of anything, including yeah, he definitely this book. should. Uh, it's about this Shakespeare festival, and each year is a different play, and they do one with King Lear, and I'm pretty sure, it's been a while since I watched it, but I'm pretty sure the dude in that dies as well. Like, I think I've heard of this show. It's really good. It's got... Um, Nope, I lost it. There's a uh, a young Rachel McAdams is in season one. Another my solid cousin. She's Canadian my cousin. Actor. Did you know that? What? No, I'm just kidding. But we have the same last But did always... you believe it? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm very susceptible. I mean, listen, it's not that common of a last name. No. A lot Especially of times when I meet someone spellings. and I tell them my last name, they'll be like, like Rachel McAdams, and I'm like, mm. yes, exactly. Yes, exactly like that, Aussie. but not. Exactly. Oh. I actually am Rachel McAdams. Yeah. What? We look alike, as you can see. So, But like a the Val, Rachel <laughs> McAdams, so you forgot everything about yeah. your life. Yeah. You're just looking for your Channing Tatum. Nope. Channing Tatum. That's neat. That, no. Guys, it doesn't matter. What's this book about? <laughs> All right. So, Todd, do you want me to read the summary and then we'll let you hit, hit Here's it Here's a question I have. Is this a Goodreads summary? This is a Goodreads summary. And honestly, I haven't read through it yet. I just pasted it in here, so I'm going to discover as I go. So this is a summary of Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Is that how we say her last name? Or Mandel? Mandel. I've been saying Mandel. Mandela. I don't know. (laughs) Is she related to Nelson? We don't know. All right. Station Eleven. An audacious, darkly glittering novel set in the eerie days of civilization's collapse. Station Eleven tells the spellbinding journey of a Hollywood star, his would-be savior, and a nomadic group of actors roaming the scattered outposts of the Great Lakes region, risking everything for art and humor. One snowy night, a famous Hollywood actor slumps over and dies on stage during a production of King Lear. Hours hours later, hours (laughs) later, the world as we know it begins to dissolve. 
Moving back and forth in time from the actor's early days as a film star to 15 years in the future, when a theater troupe known as the Traveling Symphony roams the wasteland of what remains. <laughs> oh my gosh. This Are you is, okay? Yeah, I'm just like reading too fast, I think, and I got excited. <laughs> <laughs> this suspenseful... I don't know this word. Elegiac. Elegiac? Oh, oh, okay. When you say an elegy, like an elegy. When you say it like that, I know what it means. Okay. Yeah. Elegiac, spellbinding novel. Elegiac. It's a type of cereal. (laughs) Spellbinding novel charts the strange twists of fate that connect five people the actor, the man who tried to save him, the actor's first wife, his oldest friend, and a young actress with the act. What the fuck is happening? (laughs) A young actress. (laughs) A young actress with the traveling symphony caught in the crosshairs of a dangerous, self-proclaimed prophet. Who is in no way connected. Yeah. Sometimes terrifying. Sometimes tender. Station Eleven tells a story about the relationships that's just... (laughs) I give up, guys. That sustain us. The ephemeral nature of fame. And the beauty of the world as we know it. What do you guys think about that, was, that summary? That was pretty good for a Goodreads summary. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Too bad she butchered much... it. <laughs> Look. No. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I can't read it all. No, Damn. So it's... I wasted all of We're my good speech giving on that Mercutio thing. And that yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. That really took a lot out of you. You left it all on the it stage. Did. I did. So, because I've been in grad school too long, my first question is real nerdy. <laughs> Guys, who is the narrator? I feel like we've cheated because we talked about this a little mm. bit before we recorded, Todd and I did. And in a secret text? No, in, in real life. IRL. Major in cheating. a secret personal conversation. Yeah. Major cheating. In a secret... Real life conversation. Face to face text. Yes, face to face text. Oh, okay, I see. Um, I, to me, this seems a lot like Jane Austen. Maybe Jane Austen is the first that comes to my mind because I just personally love Jane Austen. But uh, sort of like that limited, omniscient narrator that is privy to some characters' thoughts, but, like, in a limited way, you know? Yeah. So, like, still an omniscient narrator, but with a peek into characters' thoughts. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I didn't even think about this as I was reading, because I was just like, oh, it's just a narrator. Yeah. I didn't think about it either. But a lot of, there are a lot of characters that do get, we do learn their thoughts. Even, like, really minor characters occasionally will get a little piece of, like, what they're feeling or thinking. But then there are some characters who we don't ever understand, like the prophet. I don't think we ever get any understanding of him or his thoughts. Um, I guess I was thinking specifically of those chapters, like, really short chapters where it's, like, a list of things we lost. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, it's, like, a very specific list. It's a specific, yeah. Yeah. So I just thought it was an interesting thing to think about. And I guess I should say, the first time I read this was like three years ago, and I listened to it on audiobook, and it was like right when I uh, moved to Mississippi, 
and it was like very emotional for me. And then I it just lodged in my brain. You were since thinking then. about all the things you lost living here. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. You're away from your family, starting a PhD program. It's, grocery it's stores. Emotional already. Oh yeah, grocery I really stores. miss grocery mm. stores. That's the number one. So this was my first time reading it in print. And I didn't realize very simple things like the fact that Jeevan's probably Indian, Canadian, or, you know, something like that. Yeah. Just because I didn't think about it. I couldn't. That's a white guy name. Yeah. Well, his brother's name is Frank. His brother's name is Frank. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Frank. (laughs) So that's why I was confused because I was like, maybe if his brother's name would also give me a hint towards like what like his ethnicity is right his like, last maybe name was well, kind Chaudhry. of in, in, yeah should oh yeah. okay yeah that's true right like Robbie Chaudhry something about hearing Chaudhry exactly. doesn't make yeah doesn't when be- I think Chaudhry I think of the guy who plays the goat in in the the Vivich the Vivich and I think of what? Robbie Chaudhry of undisclosed fame Black Phillip Black Phillip Black Phillip Chaudhry how did you yeah. know who played know Black Phillip Look, I have been on a rabbit hole of the V-Fitch before. <laughs> to me, Black, Black Phillip, Phillip is just Black Phillip. Phillip. Yeah, why did you break the mystery of Black Phillip? I didn't want to know. Oh. I thought it what? was the devil who was speaking from Black Phillip. It's been out for several <laughs> guys, years, you guys. I have no what? idea what you're talking about. <gasps> That's good. Forget it. It's Forget so it good. All. Like, not a clue. You've never seen The Witch, Susan? No. What? What is that? Why are you here? Who are you? Go. What are you doing on this podcast? Put on, put on your Puritan bonnet. I'm hearing yeah. another other Throw coming. down those headphones. Yes. We actually, Mary Kay has written about the witch for our blog. Yeah, and I read that. But <laughs> so you should at least know a little bit what we're talking about. That was a while ago, in my defense. <laughs> it was. And having no context for the thing she's talking about, can you really blame me? Anyway. Okay, so what is your answer? Who is the narrator? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it feels like a specific person, but it also feels like it's probably... It's all of us. Like an omniscient. Like, it's 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 somewhere in between, like, the Jane Austen, like, I can hear everyone's thoughts, and a more, like, uh, I'm just in one person's head kind of narrator. Like, somewhere yeah. between, like, a George R. R. Martin or a fantasy thing where you're, like, in someone's head and a larger scope novel. Mm-hmm. Where you can hear everyone's thoughts because they seem to have like a personality. Anyway, yeah. once again, Jane Austen's broken the mold and set the path for everyone. Accurate. Thank you, Jane Austen. Nothing but love for our. Thanks community. for narrating this book, Jane. <laughs> Nothing yeah. but love for my president. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Who is Jane Austen? I. Jane Austen, my president. Okay. We're all looking at this dock of questions. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the second question. <laughs> well, good, because we are on the second question. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking about, this is a post-apocalyptic novel, spoilers, spoilies, as I like to say. Oh, yeah. Spoilers moving forward. Novel. If you're new here, we're going to spoil yeah. this whole book. Arthur Leander dies. <laughs> Huge spoiler. spoiler. I mean, like in the first page. <laughs> you have not even started the first page of this book. But yeah, but he dies in a very tender way, and there's fake snow all around him. And, and anyway, <laughs> there are children uh, watching and yeah. singing. Uh, so I thought it was really cool that it's a post-apocalyptic novel that doesn't have like zombies or aliens or uh, mutated <laughs> humans <laughs> running around. Mm-hmm. It's just 
desperate people that are the monsters, basically. Or people that have become, like, the prophet or cultist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a nice change of pace for most post-apocalypse that I've read. And this came out, like, in 2014 or 15 mm-hmm. in the, like, a post-apocalypse In the, in the boom. zombie boom. Yeah. yeah. The great zombie boom of 2014. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I've never been a huge, like, zombie fan. Um, so, for me, this was, like, this is maybe one of my favorite types of apocalypses. Um, mm. Because it's genuinely frightening, and I'm a hypochondriac, so this whole time yeah. I was, like, the, the airport stuff really stressed me out a lot. <laughs> yeah. You were sitting at home, like, do I have a fever? Is it happening in real life? Well, and, like, Miranda's... Oh Miranda's like realization that she's feeling sick and saying like no 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 it's it's because you're thinking about being sick so that's why you're sick and I'm like God I've had that conversation with myself a million times but like yeah just the like how realistic all the the airport stuff was especially when like that slow decline where you start to see like oh shit like civilization might just be ending right now that mm-hmm. is yeah. that's a way scarier type of apocalypse to me this book was so. I just loved, like, the specificity of, like, so much of it and so many things that are just never really pointed out in, like, apocalyptic stories. Like, just simple things, like, there's a, a member of this symphony who can't – who broke his glasses and now he's bl- basically blind because yeah. his vision is t- so bad that he can't, like, see. And it's, like, in the normal world, he has, like, contact lenses or glasses and, like, it's not a problem. But now it's, like, he can't – he can barely do anything because he can't see. And I – just, like, thinking about things like that or – and this really got me – was because I take Effexor. I'm on Effexor. Mm-hmm. And there's a girl um, in the airport – who is wa- walking around asking people, like, do you have effects, sir? I ran out. I thought I was going to be home and it would be fine, but, you know, I don't have any left. And she's going through this, like, terrible withdrawal, which I have been through. And I was just thinking about that. It's like if you have a mental illness and you enter this world, like, you don't get to have your medicine anymore. And, mm-hmm. like, all kinds of people who, like, I think there was another family that, like, was diabetic and they couldn't have, like, insulin and stuff and they died and it's like – all the stuff, all the things that we have that like keep us alive or keep us, you know, like this girl who, who, you know, didn't have effects or anymore, and then eventually she got over the withdrawal, but she's like extremely, you know, anxious and depressed, and she just like walks off into the forest and they never see her again, yeah. and like that was so heartbreaking to me to think about like how, like I thinking about that I was I always thought like oh you know I'd find a way to make it and a post-apocalyptic world, but now I'm like, no, I couldn't. Like, I'd just be, like, curled in a ball having an anxiety attack the entire time. Stuff that's extremely treatable in our world. Like, if you're diabetic, that's extremely treatable. Right. You know, and it's still, like, don't get me wrong, it's still bad. I'm not like, hey, diabetes is fine. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) You can treat it. Yeah. You know, like there are ways. Right. Or like her brother steps on a nail and it gets right. infected and he dies from because of that. And like, like so many things are extremely treatable and they wouldn't be if we didn't have access to basic medicine. That stuff is even scarier than the flu itself. It's like if you get past that yeah. part, then you still have to live in that yeah. world. Is it weird that this book made me want to play play games? Again. No. Because I was like, oh, yeah, I know how to spread this disease real fast. Mm. That's the big thing is, like, 
This is what I learned from playing Plague Inc. Like, you've got to get the disease spread before they shut down the airports. Because once they shut down the airport, yep. you're screwed. Yeah. So, like, that's really how this, I mean, and that's what happened in the book, right? Like, this disease, like, really got its, yeah. got its wings <laughs> because of the airports hey. um, and being able to, you know, travel across the ocean. But, yeah, Plague Inc. is a app. On your phone, where you get to be a plague, and you're trying to spread and kill everyone before they develop a cure for you, and it's really fun. Oh my god. I love that during this conversation, we got a rare take from the perspective of Oh yeah, if you want to know. (laughs) You've got to get that spread before the airport shut down, y'all. Spread it. Yeah, Um, and like there are different modes, like different types of diseases you can play as, like a bacterial disease, um, a virus, differently, a virus, and like mutations happen. And the thing is, like, you want to like scale the mutations back because, like, if you get deadly too soon, then everyone who has you will die. They'll know, and then like they didn't spread it. Then it won't be spreading anymore. It won't spread. Right. So you got to stay, like, under the radar until everyone's sick, and then you become deadly, and then, bam. These are the hot tips yeah. on how yeah. to spread a yeah. plate. I got, I got all of them. You heard it here first. And another thing that I think, not to, sorry, not to bring us back to the book, <laughs> that I think it does well <laughs> is... Todd, sense a little sarcasm, buddy. Calm down. Oh, man, yep. That one's, that's me. The doctors and nurses would be, like, one of the first to go. Oh, yeah. So you're only well, they, people. Well, they are, because yeah. in the book, you know, Jeevan's friend. friend, friend, who's a doctor, is like, you just gotta get out. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta run. And that was really heartbreaking to me, too, like, his friend calling him uh. and saying, like, this is really bad. You need to get out. And they're just this understanding when they're having their phone conversation that, like, this is the last time I'm going to talk to you because you are definitely going to yeah. die. Did he, did he hear like, him cough or something? There was, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he heard him coughing. I mean, once he coughed, I was like, well, that's it for him. Exactly. It's like when you're watching, a, like, a Victorian movie and someone, like, coughs into a napkin. <laughs> and, yeah, and you're like, there's going to be blood on that napkin. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Classic. <laughs> blood on the iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> so there is, there are, oh. There are a lot of characters in this novel, and I wonder if we have a thought on, is there a main character? Do we need to think of this as a main character? I have a question about characters, um, because I was kind of interested in the characters that the author chose to focus on. Um, I felt like, and I don't know if that's just because this is where my interests lie, lay, Anyway, Laid, um, Lane, Laid, Lane, <laughs> Um, But I thought Kirsten was the main character. Mm-hmm. And yeah. at a certain point, like in the beginning, I was thinking that uh, Jeevan was, was going to be a main character. But then like halfway through the book, I'm like, why is he even here? Yeah. What? I loved him. I was glad he was there. Yeah, I liked him, but I, we didn't get enough of him for me to like... I, I did want more. Yeah, I did. Like, I just kind of thought we were going to get more, like, he was going to be more integral to, yeah. I don't know, like, more of what's happening in the story. This kind of ties into the next question yeah. about, like, who's your favorite and why is it Miranda? <laughs> oh. <laughs> but for me, it's who's your favorite and why is it probably Jeevan? Okay, please Mine's talk Jeevan. about that. Mine's Jeevan. Why? I mean, I didn't have a problem with him. I just, like, right. I thought, I don't know. 
I thought I think, he was going to do more. For me, Jeevan does a lot because we see through flashbacks a lot of growth in him as a character. Mm-hmm. You know, he starts off being this paparazzi type guy who like camps outside people's houses and waits to Mm -hmm. take embarrassing pictures of them but he has a moment with miranda who is um arthur leander's one of his wives who wrote station 11 the first wife the graphic novel the graphic novel. Not to be confused with station oh there's so much happening here but yes the graphic novel was called dr 11 yeah Oh. oh that's right there's but like a second. Doctor Eleven is in Station Eleven, yeah, and I think the first yeah. issue was Station Eleven. So Jeevan, okay. like yeah. we see, we see Jeevan change a lot. He goes from being this paparazzi and not really caring about other people or how he's making them feel, and then he has a change of heart and he's like, you know, I'm going to be like a journalist and be like a little more serious. And he does some entertainment journalism where he does actual interviews and. Arthur Leander trusts him so much to give him, like, this exclusive scoop, right? And we see, like, a little bit of humanity. Jeevan keeps that secret for the time that he is, you know, asked to do so. And then we see Jeevan enduring the apocalypse. and Well, also, like, had he had decided to become a paramedic. Yes, he decided to become a paramedic. We see him trying to help Arthur Leander live. And it doesn't work. And he helps Kirsten. He helps and his Kirsten. brother. He helps no. his brother, God. which I want to come back to his brother. Yeah, it's very sad. And yeah. then I think he might have the happiest ending. Yeah, of everyone yeah, in the does. book because he's just chilling in Virginia. But in I Virginia. think that's why I was like, "Why are With we getting family. this story?" Because like in the present timeline, I'm like, "What's he doing?" He's he's kind of proof. That society can collapse and people can still find a way to persist and be happy without society, mm-hmm. essentially. Because as much as it sucks, like, he's fine. Well, I think so much of this book also is just about all of these characters, like, trying to figure out, like, what... Especially the older characters, like, someone like Clark or, like, Arthur in his later stages is, like, these people trying to figure out, like, what have I done with my life? Mm-hmm. Like, who... Am I? Like, what's the point of all of this shit that I did? And so much of their, like, younger years are trying to figure that out. And we kind of see what happens if, like, you are in the midst of figuring it out when the apocalypse happens. Because he's, like, the only characters whose perspective we really get where he was, like, in his, what, like, late 20s, early Mm -hmm. 30s when it happened? Because, like, Kristen was a child. And, like, Arthur. Mm -hmm. Kristen. Or Kiki. Kristen was a child. Kiki. Arthur dies. Uh, Clark was already older mm-hmm. when it happened. So, like, he's the the character that we get the perspective of, like, someone, like, closer to our own age. Like, if something happened when you yeah. were, like, alive enough to really remember it mm-hmm. and really know what it was before it was gone. But also you're – you were still, like, figuring out your life. And you didn't have all this – like, Clark mm-hmm. is, like, looking back on his life and he's, like, I did all this stuff before even, this even happened. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting, too, because it kind of showed, like, that Jeevan had, like, to still figure out and go through his, like, discovery and understanding of, like, what he wants out of life. Meanwhile, like, all this horrible shit is happening. And he's so much more alone than all the other people are, too, which I think, yeah. even though he has had a really significant, like, run-in with almost every other person in this, 
Mm-hmm. Like he is mm-hmm. the one that's really like just out by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Jeevan and Arthur hold all the characters together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly Arthur. Mm-hmm. Mostly, yeah, Arthur, mostly Arthur. But Jeevan's doing something too. Well, with or without Jeevan, mm-hmm. all these characters would still be connected. Connected to Arthur. Just let me, Arthur. Just let me have Jeevan. Yeah. Well, you can I, have Jeevan. I'll say one thing about Jeevan and then you can have Jeevan. We'll talk I'm just saying. Characters. But like, I, he, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. I didn't realize he, you were talking. Nope, me neither. Uh, <laughs> he shows, I think he's like the character who the apocalypse brings the best out of, which I think is what Mandel's trying to do is show like in the apocalypse, some people are going to go one way and some people are going to go the, to their best selves. The Jeevan way. And Jeevan is the that. The Jeevan yeah. way. But, there are, but I mean, that being said, there's like lots of great characters and I can't think of a character I did not like. Or yeah. did not enjoy their chapters. Right. Because yeah. the book kind of bounces around, you know. I mean, you guys know this, but for listeners, the book kind of bounces around between different characters' perspectives. And you sort of get to peek in on characters, both when they intersect with other main characters and then when they're alone. And yeah. it's, they're all great. Yeah. They're all great. And they all deliver something different to the mm-hmm. novel. I never felt like when we when we got to a character, I was never like, oh, I'm, I don't want this part. Like, bring me back to someone else. I was always like, I'm happy to be back with this character. Again. Unlike with Game Whichever of Thrones, character was. where there were, like, great yeah. giant <laughs> chunks of chapters oh where gosh, you're like, yeah. please do not make me follow Sam again. Why are you doing this? I was just about to say <laughs> Sam is the worst. Mm-hmm. Sam so and then boring. Bran. Bran is also pretty terrible. Bran is boring. We too. have read a couple of books too for the podcast that where the timeline jumps around like this one and mm-hmm. I think every single time one of us has complained about one or the other of the timelines and like not wanting to be in it <laughs> at yeah. all and I didn't feel that way about any any time jumps at all this time. So Todd, you want to talk about Miranda? <laughs> Look, I think Miranda's really cool. I think... I love... She's probably my favorite. Yeah. I think to me the thing that's interesting about Miranda is that she seems... Or she feels like a stand-in character almost for the the author. Mm -hmm. Or like... So one of my favorite things in any sort of medium is like a medium within the medium. And I put this on the... On the thing later. We can talk about it whenever. We can talk about it now if you want. We can talk about it now. Right, now. But, like, to me, so many artworks are about the process of making art. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's that called? I don't know. Or wait, I'm thinking about... A crisis? Yeah, that's yeah, what that's I'm a different. About. It's similar! It's similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job. It's like an Ars Poetica of... Yeah, okay. of, of novels. Yeah, I got you. Just two poets. Just two poets vibing. We're just vibing. We're just right there. <laughs> what's a poet? Um... <laughs> Go to hell, Rachel McAdams. Poor person, Kelly. <laughs> uh, I guess so we'll get like, to that question later. I, I think Miranda's whole thing about like I regret nothing is really cool and powerful, and mm-hmm. especially uh, I should not be the one to say this, but I think like as her like standing as like a woman in the business world, it's really cool to see this character who like stands up for herself and doesn't put up with any crap. You can say that, Todd. I think what's so cool about her, too, is that she's the one character who, when she dies, is, like, truly pretty content. Mm-hmm. Like, And also alone. Yeah. And she kind of dies on her own terms. Alone. Like, she's like, this is like, where, she goes, like, I'm not like, I'm ready to die now, but sort of like, let me, like, set the stage for my, like, I know yeah. it's coming. Yeah, she's like, I'm not going to die in this fucking hotel yeah. room. She, like, yeah. drags herself That's out pretty, to the beach. pretty great. 
and just yeah. like lies on the beach and watches the sunset. <laughs> I, I hope that that's what I do too when I die. I mean, actually, I'm going to be reciting Romeo and Juliet, but if I'm not right. doing that, right. or yeah, I just want to like be on a beach reciting Romeo and Juliet, I think, when I die. Yeah. And yeah, she's one of nice. what two characters who we like get in their heads while they die. One of them is Arthur. Yeah. And one of them is her. And Arthur's death is basically the opposite of hers, where he's, like, just, like, hates himself. Mm. Just totally hates himself. Oh, it just occurred to me. It's kind of crazy. They died, like, a day apart from each other. Yeah. Like, on opposite yeah. sides of the world for totally different reasons. Died a day yeah. apart. The, the, like, whole last chapter where Arthur's just thinking about his son the whole time made me so sad. It was really depressing. <laughs> because you already know that, like, his son grows up to be, like... Horrible. A cult leader! Oh, yeah. Yeah, call your I'll dad. I'll say it. You are a cult. Call your dad. You are You're literally a cult, a cult Call your leader. dad. Yeah. Oh, my God. The funny thing is, call, is, like, I had already Arthur. finished Station Eleven, and Todd was finishing it again yesterday, and he was like, oh, this, this line about his son, it's so sad. And I was like, yeah, whatever, that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Look, maybe if he had had his dad, it wouldn't have happened. Because his mom was terrible. She fucked it up. Yeah. yeah I mean, true. to be fair to her, she was dealing with, like, the end of the world. <laughs> that's true. I mean, yeah. yeah it's hard to deal with just yourself being a terrible person also. This novel doesn't have a lot of, like, antagonists, really. Or even, like, plot twists. I kept saying, saying to Mary, like, let me know when you get to this thing. And then she got to it and she was like, eh. <laughs> uh, so, like, wow, was there Mary. a moment when you guys figured out tyler was the prophet or was it just like oh yeah that there was a moment and i felt like it was a big theory like i think tyler's the prophet because of these six pieces of evidence and todd was like yeah yeah that's the twist (laughs) i think like is it a twist it's not really but it's i mean i think it's just a a slowly revealed piece of information yeah yeah for me it's not like we know tyler to be something else and then we're like oh no he was this all along it's like no he was like a kid and then um i think when we got to to the um air uh airport chapter when it's from clark's perspective about like when they first get to the airport that's when i figured it out because he's this kid in this airport we all know that he that he originated in the airport and mm-hmm. i'm like okay well of course and of course yeah. they're gonna do like it's arthur's son is the pro like yeah. so that's when i figured it out but you know that and then of course I... he brings out the bible and i'm like okay oh well when now I see. tyler is a nine-year-old reading the bible to a plane full of dead people yeah yeah i mean that was that's that's that was the deciding factor the but there's also <laughs> remember when they're in that town St. Deborah by the water, and Mm -hmm. Kirsten realizes that the dog's name is the same Mm -hmm. as the dog in Station, or in Doctor Eleven. So I was like, this guy knows Arthur, he knows Arthur somehow. Like, or knows Mm -hmm. Miranda and Arthur somehow. Like, Well, somehow he got his hands on that comic book. Yeah, but like, since she got it from Arthur, I felt like there was gonna be some connection to Arthur there. So I didn't know it was that deep of one, but... (laughs) You know, yeah. yeah. I didn't connection. think about it then, but yeah. I also was like, "Oh, the dog has the same name." Well, I just thought they wouldn't then. point it out, especially with all these kind of interwoven yeah. Arthur pieces. It's like yeah. he's somebody that, or or it's it would be someone that she like knew, like from the yeah. play, like another child actor or something. Yeah, I'm just glad that she. W- it was never like, "Oh, that's Arthur's son." I figured it out. Like, yeah. I'm glad that we just kind of like 
figure it out and it's never like a reveal it's the kind of novel that rewards multiple readings like you pick up on stuff because like the first time i read it i probably didn't even notice the dog's name until later um Mm -hmm. and then reading it this time i was like aha and i think it even says who's the dog's name luli luli yeah and it's like a just a big fluff ball pomeranian it's a pomeranian it's a big fluff like miranda's luli yeah is a pomeranian and it's funny that that you said that Miranda is like a stand-in for the author because then Miranda writes Dr. Eleven as the stand-in for her in the book that she's writing. <laughs> yeah. This is, Eleven this is like my favorite kind of thing is like meta within meta. Yeah. It's like community is so great. Unrelated. No, we'll get to that next week. We okay, can talk to Emily yeah. all about For that. the Donald Glover episode. Yeah. <laughs> also, I just thinking, because we were talking about Miranda and like the meta narrative of it, I love graphic novels. I've what? mentioned it a couple of times. Um, <laughs> and I am particularly interested in the comic book Dr. Eleven within the novel. Because most of the time, I think when we see like a piece of art within a piece of art, it's like something you can still experience in a similar way. Like in Hamlet, there's a play within a play. But you're still, like, if you're an audience member watching Hamlet, you're still watching the play within mm-hmm. a play. And, like, mm-hmm. there's an extra layer, but you're still enjoying that piece of media, you know, like, ostensibly the way it's supposed to be experienced. Yeah. Um, if someone's writing a novel within a novel, like in Evelyn Hugo, mm-hmm. or The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, you're still in, you're still reading that novel that was written inside the novel. But with a graphic novel art is so important and the pictures Mm -hmm. are a part of the narrative and so not being able to experience that changes things i don't really know what i'm trying to say but like it's different Mm -hmm. from other like art within art things that i've seen well it leaves a lot to the imagination which Mm -hmm. is really cool i mean i thought it was beautifully described i can picture Mm -hmm. it perfectly yeah and giant horse horses yeah. Seahorses. Horses. Horses. Giant horses <laughs> in the sea. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really liked that. I thought it was, I thought it was cool. And just reading about her process and like how like dedicated to it she was. And like this person who's been working on a graphic novel for like 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she's like, um, and just also the fact that this one comic book had such a profound impact on multiple people. Right. Mm-hmm. And she'll never know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it wasn't really I the point cool. of the comic for her either. So, yeah. But I think I feel like the best art is an art that's like, I'm trying to make an impact on you. Yeah. It's more pers- like personal things that are done for personal reasons, I think, have the biggest impact. Yeah. Totally. So. I always hate it when authors are clearly, like, trying to make an impact. Yeah. This makes me want to punch them in the face. That's what impact it has. <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah. That'll teach them. Yeah. Will. Uh, what does everyone, does anyone else have favorite characters or characters they liked a lot? I liked Clark a lot. Yeah. yeah. Clark didn't take any BS from anybody. <laughs> I, I also love that as an old man, he just, like, shaves his head into a mohawk again and, like, yeah. he's Why like, not, you know, like, 
You're not getting an office job in the apocalypse. He has that, like, the woman at the airport who's supposed to, like, let him know when he starts going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, like, like she's looking at him when he, like, has, like, cuts his hair like that. And he's like, oh, don't worry. This is how I used to have my hair. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is, like, only slightly related, but I love the way... So, like, one of the reasons I love this novel is because, like, the writing is so good. It's, mm-hmm. like, clear and direct and also beautiful. Dialogue's really great. The dialogue's really great. The descriptions are great. I love that in the Traveling Symphony, they refer to each other as, like, the sixth guitar or the clarinet. The tuba. The tuba. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's such an interesting device. The only characters that are really named are the ones that are important to Kirsten. Mm-hmm. And everyone else yeah. is, like, mm-hmm. the conductor. But even, like, the conductor, when somebody asks the conductor's name, the conductor says, like, just call me the conductor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, So these seem like self-imposed names as well. This, I mean, it feels like a thing that would maybe happen if you survived an apocalypse. You would want to, like, this, the, one of them, like, spoke only French because everything bad that had happened to them happened in English. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's yeah. like, gutting. Well, in that moment when yeah. they were, like, we, when she- we, Kristen, or the, we, it was, we, we. Everything bad to me happened in English too. Maybe I should start speaking in French. <laughs> yeah. No, you're fine. <laughs> Sorry, Susan. I was going to say another thing that was like gutting about that was when you realize like they, you know, they take on that number like six guitar, and like three, four, and five guitar have died. So there's still just six guitar. So it's like there's numbers yeah. missing, mm-hmm. and that's sad. Also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were the knife tattoos immediately apparent to you what they yes. were? Okay, well. I had no idea. No. If someone, okay, okay. Look. Look at what? It's like a prison tattoo. You know, it's like a gang tattoo. Oh, I'm like, sorry. Is that why you know drops. about it? Because you've been in so many prisons and gangs? Mary, Mary is so the most hard. likely of all of us. <laughs> well, criminal. Look, I've just, I've just watched a lot of prison <laughs> documentaries. <laughs> Fair. But, but you know, like, that she didn't really have any... She has the quote from Star Trek tattooed mm-hmm. on her arm. And she has knife, the little knives on her hand. Wrists. On her wrists. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, that she doesn't have more tattoos right. than that. Those must be really significant. Right. And what do you do with a knife? You kill people. That's true. Well, I think someone else has, like, arrows, so it's interesting. It's like... They kill them with a bow. Yeah. And the first, like the first thing she says to Charlie when she gets to the airport is like, "Is there a tattooist?" <laughs> yeah, just Charlie's someone. like, "I'll take you tomorrow." This is our guy. I killed a big one. <laughs> or sadness tattoos. Or sadness tattoos. I'm into it. Yeah. I like look. I'm into it. Can wait? Can I rant a little bit about the whole prophet philosophy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because this is like one of my least favorite things in the world is when people say everything happens for a reason. Yes, because as like an excuse or like uh, growing up uh, in the South with a bunch of religious people, they love to say that God has a plan and like. Oh yeah, well you know, just having had someone can... really close to me die. Do you know how many times I've heard right. that lately? Yeah, and you know how much doesn't... BS that is. Exactly. And I loved when Saeed, I think it's Saeed, it says to the the cultists, like, you'll be surprised how little that comforts me. And my (laughs) death is for a reason. I loved him, too. He had so little to, like, do, but every time he spoke, he was so, like, sassy. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I think that's that's true, though. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's not comforting. No. It's not comforting. And, like, it's not... I don't think that's true. Like, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think you, like, make... A reason out of it, but yeah. it doesn't. Well, it only feels good reason. to hear Sometimes stuff. Happens it only feels it good to hear sucks. if something really good yeah. just happened to you. <laughs> and then someone tells yeah, you that, and you think that somehow you deserved that thing, or that it was like meant to be for you. Yeah, it's not comforting when something shitty happens yeah. at all. I imagine it's comforting to people who are religious because they're like, yeah. "Yes, I remember God has a plan." But like, uh, but then ha- like, doesn't that just make you mad at God that like God planned yeah. on doing shitty things yeah. to you? <laughs> Apparently not. I mean, that's how I would feel if I, I believed I think in it that. Depends but depends on like what sect of Christianity you fall into yeah. and who you are as an individual too. Because yeah. like this is why I'm a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's I'm like, telling you way more about free will up in here. So yeah, <laughs> that is a crappy way to think that's about a crappy God. Way to think about God, like uh, yeah, God, you know, killed your cousin or something because it was part of a bigger plan like no that's not true and just like the audacity of people to say that to someone else thinking that that will comfort them yeah like get out of here why stay in your lane yeah like don't say that's this really stupid thing to say it is also don't join a cult because then you'll start saying stupid shit like that to people if you find yourself in a cult please call your dad it is what (laughs) The ladies of my favorite murder would tell you to do. Yeah, Tyler couldn't call his dad. Yeah. Well, that's why he stayed in the cult. He started the cult. I think, you know, I think my dad would probably join the cult before I did. (laughs) You'd join the cult and you'd call your dad and he'd be like, I'm right behind you in the cult. (laughs) My dad would just like... He rose up in the cult. (laughs) My dad would let out a very long (laughs) sigh if I called him to tell him I joined a cult. He'd be like... (sighs) Susan. <laughs> and that would be about it. <laughs> I think my dad would just be really mad at me and he'd be like, you know what? You got to figure this out on your own. And he'd hang up. Yeah. <laughs> I think my dad would just be like, come back to church. I <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday. I feel like my dad would be yeah. really supportive and would help me out however I needed. If, he, if he'd be like, do you need money? What is happening? And he would. Yeah, I have a good dad. Yeah. yeah, I feel like your dad is the best dad to go to if you were in a cult. So if I end up in a cult, I'm going to call your I'll dad. I'll call Charlie. We're all going to call Emily's yeah. dad. Yeah, you're in a cult. Call my dad. <laughs> he can phone tree the rest of our dads. <laughs> Emily's dad's phone number will be in the show notes. I'll tell my dad who's in the cult <laughs> to call your dad. <laughs> I'm going to have Emily's dad call my dad to break the news. He's very calm. It'll sound better coming from him. Oh, dads. Anyway. <laughs> oh, oh, dads. Wait, let's talk about Star Trek for a second. Is that... Oh, yeah. Yes, I really want to talk about this. As a Star Trek fan, I was all about the references. Yeah. Yes. I... I... So, like, I'm the one that started this document of what we were going to write, or what we were going to talk about on the show, and all I wrote was Star Trek. And that's it. <laughs> I just wrote Would you like to elaborate? Uh, and then by the time it was time to elaborate, I couldn't remember what I was going to say. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm thinking it's interesting that they're using Star Trek and also, like, almost elevating it to, mm-hmm. uh, like, a, uh, instructions for life or, like, Look, a way of living. Star Trek is pretty cerebral. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why a lot of people don't get into it, honestly, because it's not, it's not like the action-adventure type thing that a lot of people expect right. from sci-fi space 
adventures. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of the times, uh, Star Wars and Star Trek get pitted against each other because Mm -hmm. they're They're very different. Mm -hmm. Um, at least the original intent of Star Trek was like not about war. Uh, the more recent movies are a little bit different, but I mean, it's all about sort of like big questions about existence and how, Mm -hmm. you know, people get along with each other and what it means to be human and, or what it means to be, I guess, any type of like sentient being. A yeah. person. Um, so I think yeah. like, I believe that Star Trek as a show is elevated. And so like, when like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, there was like some fuss in the book about like, well, that's, that line's just from Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I'm like, who the fuck cares? It's a good line. And the line is, can yeah. somebody, can somebody say what the line is. Because survival is insufficient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But basically the idea behind the line is that, you know, like as humans we need to do and, and it and it does kind of like get back to the idea of like what does it mean to be human? Because what it means to be human is about it's about more than survival. It's about like I don't know, like having an appreciation for life and art and Yeah. I don't know, like right. and she has that tattooed on her, but it's also on the uh, caravan. It's really good, and I think I I was listening to an interview with her, and she was talking about like how she had like seen this episode or something, and the line just lodged in her brain, and she was like, "You don't get to pick which lines affect you in your life. Like, it, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be Shakespeare, maybe it'll be Star Trek." And I just love that as a philosophy mm-hmm. because she is she is basically yeah equating the two of them because it's this traveling symphony that performs Shakespeare while also like referencing yeah. Star Trek. Um, but I mean, like, all these people. Shakespeare culturally was like the equivalent of Star Trek in its day. It was popular. Exactly. Yeah. It was, exactly. it was pop art, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So. And yeah. now that we're removed from it, we can look at it and say, oh, this is like high exactly. literature. Yeah. But maybe in a hundred years, Star Trek will be high <laughs> literature. Yeah. I, I mean,. Also, Star Trek, to me, is such a hopeful Mm. franchise. Like you said, Emily, it really is about uh, how people can get along with each other and interact as different societies. And I think that that would be even more important after the fall of civilization. Mm -hmm. Another sort of tidbit that I learned from listening to interviews with Emily uh, St. John Mandel is that, like, Originally, when she was writing this, the Traveling Symphony was performing all sorts of plays, like contemporary plays, modernist plays like Ibsen and and everything. And, like, she showed it to, like, I think her husband or or a reader or something. And, uh, like, or she just felt like it wasn't working. And someone said, like, oh, they would want to, they would want the best things Mm -hmm. in, in the end of the world. And that sort of is how Shakespeare became, like, the thing for the symphony. So I just think that's kind of interesting. Like, do we feel like the Shakespeare is like used well here or like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm a huge I mean, fan I... of Shakespeare. So I yes. would agree that cool. that's, if you're going to teach, if you're going to, if you're going to teach drama, you start with Shakespeare for a reason. Like, yeah. cause no one wants because to read like, if you're not going to read any other play ever, you should read a Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, if you're going to read two plays, then read a Tennessee Williams play and then move from there. Um, That's a good call. Agree. I would agree with that. 
Thank um, you. <laughs> what I was going to say, though, is, um, I mean, if, if civilization has fallen and you're trying to preserve some kind of what is now like lost art, basically, it makes sense that you would go for Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, yeah, I do think it's used really well. Yeah. And I, I loved the rehearsal bits where they're like just walking from town to town and rehearsing it's, the plays. I mean, go. it's a great thing to do while you're walking from town to town. They've got yeah. so much time. They don't have podcasts anymore. Oh, so what are you going to do when you're walking? <laughs> oh, God. That's that's what would kill yeah. me. I love that the musicians are pissed because they're like, I'm so tired of listening to this. And then all the actors are like, they keep warming up their instruments. I hate it. Like, <laughs> that would be me. I'd be the actor like, stop uh, playing the fucking instrument. Nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> also, I love that we don't realize, we don't figure out the clarinet like what we think is a suicide note is actually just yeah. the first line to a play. That was so cool. I loved that. Because <laughs> the clarinet is trying to write a it's play. Trying to write a play. It's so good. <laughs> just some apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic humor. Yeah. Uh, um, I feel like we've, we've nailed a lot of this. Guys, what is this novel about? I said memory because everything I read right now is about memory. Because <laughs> like yeah. I'm writing a lot about that and so I just see mem- like the way memory is happening in things. And, like, obviously, so much of the novel is about, like, what we remember from the past, what we remember from, like, the futuristic world. Futuristic world. Current world. It feels... <laughs> it would feel futuristic in a mm-hmm. post-apocalypse. Yeah. Anyway. Um, oh. Um, for me, I felt like I really latched on to a lot of the things that were about identity. Mm-hmm. And, like... Uh, particularly with Arthur and Miranda too, just like, and Clark, like all these people who, as I was saying earlier about, you know, people who are still figuring out their shit and like deciding what they want to do and who they want to be. And like, who are you when like you're removed from all of the things that distract you on a daily basis? So I think we get like stuff about identity with Miranda and Arthur because it's like Miranda is, you know, this person who ends up in like this Hollywood relationship that she does not want. And she's like, this isn't me. I don't care about this. Mm -hmm. And so, and like that whole section of her life is just about figuring out like, I don't need any of this and I'm going to go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And Arthur's is like constantly trying to like be an idea of a person that he isn't really. Um, and then, but then with like Kristen, Kirsten, Kirsten, um, she, <laughs> she, uh, is like, you know, has been like on the run and in this apocalypse since she was very young. And it's like, she has also like carved out an identity for herself in this like new world and like figuring out what things are important and to you personally, and I just thought that was really interesting because it would be super different. But again, and like Jeevan, as we were saying, like his uh, cha- like shift from being a kind of shitty person to being a better person and then being his best self now. Um, so, yeah. Huh. I think we're all like kind of latching on to different things, mm-hmm. yeah. which is fun. Like, because for me, it was the question of what sustains you when everything else around you is gone Hmm. like is it art is it the relationships is it religion in some cases like is it a dog um i i think there's (laughs) is it a dog yeah i think there's a a big case made for art um Mm -hmm. in this book but yeah for me like that's the thing that i just kept thinking about is what is it that keeps you going that's kind of connected to what i read into this just about you know art and how art is really like what keeps us 
civilized, I think, more than any, like, we can still be a civilization without electricity, without the internet, without podcasts. Not sure. As long as we have some sort of, like, appreciation and time for art. I am somewhere in between all this. Like, studying children's lit, I think about nostalgia a lot. And, and memory. And how it relates to nostalgia. And uh, to me, this book seemed to be making a case that sometimes nostalgia is dangerous because we can never recapture something perfectly. So like Tyler reads the Bible and reads this comic book, but he doesn't fully understand either, right? Because mm-hmm. he can't remember it or mm-hmm. have complete knowledge of it so he makes something new that's really dangerous (laughs) i don't know like memory nostalgia it works in weird ways and Mm -hmm. it's not always beneficial but i think this book is about all these things it's about a lot of stuff which is what a good book is i think yes yeah it is about i think all everything Mm -hmm. it's sort of just and it's an interesting sort of treatise on, like, post-apocalypse. Like, yeah. I think it's a different mm-hmm. kind of post-apocalypse, which is more interesting, as we said earlier, more interesting than just, like, the real zombies are us. What? Yeah. Which is The Walking Dead. <laughs> I, mean, I was gonna let the... Re- the <laughs> we are The Walking all. Dead, Coral! Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I mean, that's what every post-apocalyptic story yeah. is trying to do. Like, it, as much as I love ragging on The Walking Dead, I think... I haven't seen the TV show much, but, like, specifically the comic book does a really good job of using zombies sparingly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead... Um, really emphasizing how awful people are. Mm-hmm. And every post-apocalyptic story is trying to do this in a way, but this one's doing it without monsters or without like natural disaster and really mm-hmm. just cutting it down to the human element specifically, which I think is great. And also, um, this book makes me think about The Road by Cormac McCarthy a lot. Except, you know, like, not as broy. <laughs> you know what this book really reminds me of? And I don't know if you guys have heard of or seen this, but it's a play called um, Mr. Burns, a post-electric play. Have you guys heard of this? I'm not cultured, Kelly. I mean, I'm not either, but I used to work at a theater and we did this play at the theater that I worked at. And um, The title is awesome. Yeah, well, so it's actually extremely similar. And I actually looked it up because I was like, when did these things come out? And they came out around the same time. Like, Mm. within a couple months of each other. So I was like, I wonder if, like, either of these people, like, knew each other or got inspiration from each other. Because it's, like, super similar in some ways. Especially when I started reading it, I was like, damn, this is, like, really similar. But as I continued reading, it got, like, much different and more involved. But Mm. the premise of of this show is – so it takes place in three acts. The first act is, like, five years after – an apocalyptic event occurs. And we don't get a lot of information about it, but it kind of seems like it's, like, a spreading illness related to, like, nuclear power or something. Um, Like, some kind of power plant disaster or something. But anyway, so it's, like, five years after, and these people are, like, traveling together, and they're, like, camping. And in this, uh, they're all, like, around this campfire and kind of, like, talking, and they start, like, reminiscing about pop culture. And they basically describe the entire plot of one episode of The Simpsons that they're remembering where they're like, oh yeah, and then and then this happens and this happens. And it's like, and then 
the second act takes place like uh, a couple more years after that. Um, and like this group of people has sort of formed this like it's kind of it's like a theater troupe, but they perform like episodes of television shows that people remember. Mm. So they've sort of like talked to each other and figured out and remembered lines and stuff and and so they perform like episodes of The Simpsons and they perform like pop songs that were that were super popular at the time yeah. when everything fell apart and like stuff like that. And then it goes in it's like 75 years later and like it's like this theatrical production <laughs> opera oh, of this Simpsons, Simpsons episode. episode. Oh, man. And it's, it's so really cool. Good. Like it's so cool. But anyway, I highly recommend that if anyone like looks it up and checks it out, I think there's probably like YouTube stuff. It's so weird, but it's so cool and it it was a lot about like how important art is and also like how how like nostalgia and appreciation of things like pop culture and TV really like bring people together and like how if the world fell apart, like, so much of, like, our conversations on a daily basis are about, like, the things that we consume. Like, mm-hmm. I read this book. I watched this movie. Are you watching that show? Like, yeah. and when you don't have that anymore, all you can do is, like, reminisce about the things that you did watch and then sort of, like, bring them back. So I thought that was really <laughs> cool. Um, we even did that at the beginning of this episode. Like, hey, are you watching this show? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah. this is just That's how true. people talk to each yeah. other, you know? And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Because I think, like, no. art teaches us empathy, you know, and, like, uh, helps us understand people. And I think that that's, yeah. like, part of the reason why it's always considered important in these, like, works about uh, the apocalypse is because, like, there are people who end up being terrible and doing terrible things. And it's, like, maybe that's because they're not thinking about other humans and how other people feel and when we like engage in art that's like what we're learning essentially so amen i just want to like say things that i liked in the book like the woman who says praha oh my god that was so funny i forgot i remembered it so emily st john (laughs) mandel is canadian which i think is very clear if you read the novel i think like one of the driving things for arthur at least at the beginning of his life is trying to find someone else who knows what it's like to be like from this small Canadian island, and that's why he falls in love with Miranda. Um, but the other thing that I love is that the book is sort of like unsparing in its uh, critique of coastal elites. Which okay, <laughs> I know sounds bad, but I only say this as someone who grew up in Nashville, which uh-huh. to- which is like the South is constantly getting crapped on, mostly deservedly. But sometimes it's fun to take people down a peg, and I thought she did it did it really well. For sure. I'm. This is not no shade at you, Kelly, and your yeah. You better leave from Florida. I, Brooklyn. I know, but you're no, just girl in New York. That was not a shade. <laughs> Kelly is from the Florida no. Sea. Yeah, I'm so, from Florida. Like, you get, so you get the feeling of being like shit on all the time, probably. Oh, totally. And yeah. Florida totally deserves it. I shit on Florida constantly. <laughs> but it's different because you're from there. No, when I other people do, do I'm like, can't. you right, you right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's that's not like a deep thought. I just thought the way she does it is smart yeah. because it's like Subtle. Arthur. Yeah, it's either like Arthur or Miranda being like, these people suck. Yeah, especially like those. I think it's even more just a critique of like hollywood and like yeah that's uh, true or the hollywood idea even if it's happening in new york like yeah the this these people who think that they're you know better than everyone else because they're rich and successful and popular mm-hmm. and like yeah. that dinner party sequence is like so telling chef kiss <laughs> chef kiss 
Yes. Was there any other things that you guys really liked that you want to talk about? I, I don't know. I just, like, loved this book a lot. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, wait. Okay, one last question. Yep. Is the ending with the electricity hopeful or a sign that we're doomed to repeat our past mistakes? Oh, boy. Sorry, I thought it was I hopeful. I think it's hopeful. Mm. I think but it's But I hopeful. think you could read it either way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing. We definitely will repeat our past mistakes. Yes. Uh, but I read it as hopeful. Yeah. It's a nice yeah, ending. maybe I just wanted to feel hope, though. I think they're already repeating their past mistakes because a child started a cult. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I think it's also, like, people, no matter what they have, will do bad things. Yeah. But they will also do good mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. So. It is very surprising and exciting, though, when Clark takes Kirsten yeah. to see, in the distance, mm-hmm. electricity. Yeah. Especially because she's the one who's been so obsessed with it. And the sort of, this is the things that I like, the way that the book will just say, like, think of it. You used to be able to flip a switch and the lights would come on. And the way that uh, Mandel writes it is just so, like, just, I don't have a word other than, like, beautiful. Um, And, like, the the way she writes about technology and how much we take it for granted, which I think about all the time, like, Mm -hmm. how incredible the internet is and, like, these phones that we have and stuff that it's just, like, this is just like what I expect, you yeah. know. Like this is. Like, I get mad when the internet goes down. Right. I expect and demand this, and what? yet, like so many yeah. people throughout the world, never had that. And the way she describes the internet constantly as like all around us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like the adults trying to to explain to the kids how airplanes work. Yeah. And <laughs> also, like so this idea that if the internet goes out. Does it still exist somewhere? Like, is all that information still, like, there? And can they find it again? No. I'd say no. I don't know. I don't know enough about how that works. I don't know how internet works. Yeah. 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 I just use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another thing I loved was the Museum of Civilization uh, that Clark Mm -hmm. forms. Very good. Yeah. Which is essentially, like, in an airplane uh, hangar or was it in the Sky Lounge? It's in the Sky Miles Lounge. Yeah, the Sky Miles <laughs> yeah. Lounge. Which, Shout like, out to Delta. Of course. What, what, Delta. Yeah. It's so funny. But he, like, starts – there's, like, these glass cases that I guess used to have whatever in them. And he starts, like, putting all of their, like, broken – or, like, no longer useful pieces of technology, like people's iPhones. Yeah. And he puts, like, an old <laughs> driver's license and a passport in there. And, like, mm-hmm. I and just then later, cool. Dr. Eleven. Mm-hmm. Which issue do you think she gave him? One or two? I think one. I think because she said, you know, I'm going to give you one now Mm -hmm. and I'll come back later and give you the other one and we'll swap out. And so I think she let him start with number one. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. All right. You want to rate it? Look, I. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, someone else can start. Todd, you go first. Okay. Yeah, you first. You're the guest. Loved it so much that I read it again. I've been like secretly over the last three years, like every time I go to a bookstore, I'd be like, Do I want to buy Station Eleven? Is today the day I buy Station Eleven? And when I knew this was coming up, I was like, Well now I have to. So I I finally bought it like a couple months ago and I've been so excited to reread it. And it was great. And I still love it. Six out of I'm five glad stars. We can finally do this for you. Yeah. Six out of five stars. Can't do that. No half stars. That's not how Goodreads works. I don't do good reads. I'm sorry. How ten dare out of, you? Ten out of eight. <laughs> ten out of eight. Did read again. I 
all, I gave it five out of five stars, and I didn't even question that rating mm-hmm. because I liked it so much I couldn't put it down, and like I was excited to read it again when yeah. it was time to pick it back up. I would wake like I've really terrible in like middle of the night insomnia sometimes and i would wake up and just like turn and get the book and read it yeah (laughs) you know and like i was it was an exciting part of my day to read this book and i blew through it so same i read it in like three days five out of five um i I give it a four out of five because that's still a very good rating by the way um, oh, yeah. The only reason I didn't give it a five out of five is just that, like, that indescribable, like, emotional connection that you sometimes feel to your five star books. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling that mm-hmm. with this book. Yeah. Um, as much as I, I mean, it just wasn't there. But I mean, it, I would say it's a high four. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I haven't rated it yet, but I'm going to give it five. <gasps> I definitely felt. Kelly! Which, this is my second wow. five in a row. Shocker. You're getting soft. This It's or been a good run. Books. I've been so excited. Like, this was a book, and this is a feeling that hasn't happened to me in such a long time, but where I was reading it, and I was like, oh, let me grab the book. I, like, still have a ways to go, and I realized that I only had, like, 20 pages left, and I felt this, like, crippling <laughs> sadness that it was almost over. <laughs> I was like, no, like, I can't believe I'm almost finished. Like, I can't believe there's not more. I'm so upset. And, like, I don't feel that very often with books. And, like, mm-hmm. I just – I felt very emotionally connected to this book. I don't know if it's just because, like, like g- I felt this, like, connection to, like, the concept of, like, growing up in the internet age and, like, what it would mean to lose that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, like, I loved it. So we don't, thank you we don't for choose. recommending this book. As Emily St. John Mandel says, we don't choose what yeah. we have a connection yes. to. <laughs> Sometimes it's Star Trek. Sometimes it's Station Eleven. <laughs> and that's it. Those are the only choices. Yep. I uh, I also gave it a five. Yay! Yay. Well, I think Room is the only other one I've given five to, and I felt similarly mm-hmm. about this one. And like I I listened to it, um, and Todd, like you said, like you wanted to read it in print after that, and like I already want to start it from the beginning yeah. in print. Like mm-hmm. I want to read it again. And uh, you can speak to this, Susan. The audiobook's really good. It is really yeah. good. Yeah, I have the audiobook, so maybe I'll listen to the audiobook yeah. one day. I remember yeah. distinctly re- listening to it while running at the USM like indoor track <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I do that. I listen to books and run on the USM yeah. indoor track. I live that yeah. lifestyle. Who among us has not? I used to do that. Listen to it while running there. in the in- USM indoor track. Me. I'm already trying to force my paper back onto multiple people. Like, you have to read this. <laughs> yeah. So so I have one little bit of news. Like, four years ago, the rights... <laughs> this is hot news. Four years ago. <laughs> I was a little trying bit to of remember. I, for some reason, I thought that it was being optioned for a TV show. And I was gonna. I was like, we should talk about that. And then I Googled it, and it's like, no, the rights have been bought. They might make a movie out of it, but this was in 2015. Damn. So it looks like it's in limbo. But also, Emily St. John Mandel has a new novel coming out, I think, either this or next fall. I think 2019. Cool. Yeah, it's called The Glass Hotel. Ooh, I love it already. I love Glass and And I love Hotels. three other novels that I 
that I also own. Yeah, I'm kind of interested read. about yeah. going back and reading her old stuff. Apparently, have you read it? No, I haven't, but apparently it's like a little pulpier. It's like it's like crime novels, and that seems dope. Mm-hmm. Yes. Look, I'm here for that. I love a pulpy. A pulpy I'm about juicy. that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the station. So this is unrelated, but are you guys uh, Candace Bergen, uh, Mary Steenburgen, uh, Jane Fonda, or uh, oh oh, <laughs> oh from God. the new movie Book Club? No, no. The answer is no. <laughs> the answer is I'm not them. I'm not any of them. What? You're not. These are all <laughs> legends, titans. All, well, mostly I'm not Diane Keaton. Oh I'm yeah, no one that. is. No one's I'll be. Keaton I'll be either. Diane Keaton. I'll fall on that sword. <laughs> It's fine. Oh, I I still love Woody Allen. He's no, great. Right. Get out of here, oh, Diane. Stupid. Okay, Susan, do you want to tell us about the bookstore of the month? Yes, ma'am. Um, so back in April, I visited Savannah for the first time, which is a really cool place, and you should just go there in general. Um, but I discovered this cute little independent bookstore. It's the oldest one in Savannah. It's called E. Shaver, comma, bookseller. Um, it's been locally owned and operated since 1975. And they've got, it's in like a little, it's almost like a house type thing. It it looks like a house inside where there's just like seven different rooms full of books and they have tons and tons of new fiction stuff, which is great. But they also have this whole room that's uh, like local and Southern regional stuff, especially history and then like uh, Savannah specific stuff, which is cool because Savannah has some cool history and some scary history. So there's just so much uh, cool stuff in there, especially if you're like visiting that region for the first time. You can learn a bunch. Um, there are two <gasps> shop cats. Their names. I was about to say, <laughs> I tell I'm the most important part. You, two so shop cats cute. who are adorable and they just like sit in the window and bask in the sunlight and are so cute. Um, their names are Elliot, <gasps> as in T.S. Elliot, and Bartleby, <gasps> as in, you know, so the cute. Melville <laughs> thing. So, and he, he does look like he would prefer not to. He's just like, huh. And there are pictures. Um, Kind of reminds they me of Edward, actually, Mary. I um, want to live a life where there's but two cats. You can. They have a lot of cool events. Um, a lot of good stuff that supports um, some regional authors. Um, they have a lot of independent press stuff. Good readings, and they have a ton of cool book clubs. They have a sci-fi book club, a feminist book club, um, a graphic novel book club. Just like anything you could want. Um, there's also like a little tea shop attached to it so you can get get yourself some tea as well and i'm just gonna pull up their instagram real fast so it's in this one's in madison square so it's just like right kind of in the historic district i feel like i've been there you might have i mean it's really it doesn't matter it's it's really cute but i just feel like i might um so their Instagram, they're at e.shaver underscore bookseller. But if you want to see the cats. Which I do. They're all over this. And there's also um, like a guest kitten <gasps> that I guess is like one of the staff members. So there's all these pictures of this little kitten on here too. And she's like sitting on the bestseller list. And they're like, she's helping us with this list. Oh my <laughs> like, God. Just a cute guest little cat. Kitten. So, but the staff was really sweet too. And um, when I asked if I could talk to um, like a manager or something like the owner stopped her in the middle of her lunch break and like came out and talked to me and, Aww. um, yeah, she was really sweet. So 
Yeah, you should definitely follow them. And then um, look at that kitty. We should be linking <gasps> our book sales to their. Um, yeah, isn't it cute? Mm-hmm. Should be linking um, to them. So if you're gonna buy a book, buy it from to them. read along with us. You should buy it from them. Yeah. Sweet. Thank you, Susan. You're welcome. Oh. Should we say what else is on the blog? Yeah, let's let's go ahead and do what's on the blog, and then we'll do our listener what's feedback. Okay, what's on the blog? Um, Anybody remember? I did a summer movie preview, um, which is basically just I listed my top five most anticipated movies coming out between June and uh, the end of August. Mostly from A24. Most of them are A24. Okay, three of them are three out of five. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you're feeling depressed about the movie season... Don't. Never fear. But also at the end of the post, I did a little uh, rapid fire five worst movies that are coming out. Um, Ooh, what a, what's one of them? Um, the Meg, which is about um, a Megalodon starring Jason Statham. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. He no is thanks. not The Rock. Well, there's also a, a movie I called a soft Skyscraper yeah, starring The Rock. Oh, sorry, Dwayne oh, yeah. Johnson. That's yeah. your rock. We saw movie. a preview for that last night, and Todd said, "What movie is that?" <laughs> and I said, "The Rock." <laughs> and he said, "It's not called The Rock." And I was like, "I don't know. It's you know, like one of those rock movies." Here's the thing: he has a movie come out like every three months now. Yeah, where he's inexplicably supposed to be married to Nev Campbell. I'm like, what? In what universe? <laughs> At least she's like within a decade of him. It's such That's a nice. bizarre couple. I watched uh, Mission Impossible last night. I know this is dumb, but John Voight is married to someone 25 years younger. Also, and you can tell. Yeah. He looks like John Voight. Also, just like Tom Cruise in those movies. just stepped out of a modeling still. agency. Like, oh Tom Cruise, anyway. you're like 65 or something. Like, you're not an action star anymore. Give it up. <laughs> He's. Yeah. 87. He's 87. I have years a theory. Old. People go to yeah. see these movies because they want to see Tom Cruise get beat by up. Henry Cavill. Yes. Also, I just <laughs> yes. That trailer where Henry Cavill. This is my thing. I'm obsessed <laughs> with right now. Henry Cavill like punches as if he's like trying to loosen up his wrist. Oh my god! Like those are like the hardest yeah, punches like, to pop his wrist. like they're like, so insanely overdone. Like, I would let him punch yeah. me though. <laughs> <gasps> the power, the power oh derived from the I mustache. Just can't. <laughs> um, also on the blog, I shared a story about my freshman roommate Song and how she sparked a love of Korean cooking. Oh my god, I'm so hungry me. right now. And uh, I, after the story, I share a loose recipe for kimbap, which is sort of like Korean sushi. Um. And I actually made kimbap this weekend. And I ate it. For, or this week for a party. Todd and Emily ate it. it and said it was good. And Todd ate it and also said it was good. Yeah. And I eat it all the time and say it's good. So <laughs> there you go. Three, three, three thumbs up. Oh, wait. One last thing. Sorry. Riverdale is over. And the final recap is up. Yes. Oh, God. What a doozy. And you guys are counting down until season three, right? Yeah, I will too. I'm still into Riverdale, and I will watch it until it dies. 
But what a tire fire this season has been. Until it dies or until it kills you. Yes. Because it's on the CW, so it might never get canceled. (laughs) Okay, so also on the blog, I wrote a post about how men are still terrible. Sorry, Todd. I agree. Um, No, (laughs) you should apologize, actually. Um, Men are still terrible, but women are doing awesome things. Um, And I noted some of the terrible things and awesome things that have happened recently in pop culture, featuring Beyonce, obviously, and Atlanta, my favorite TV show of all time. That's not true. That's an exaggeration. But Probably the best show on TV right now. Yeah. It's, it is the best show on TV right now. If you're not watching it, you should be watching it. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, this was a, a tie-in with a giveaway that we're doing right now to get ready for YA Book Club in Paradise. <laughs> Almost Paradise. We're not going to It's not an episode if Mary and Emily don't break out into song. So. Listen, I've That's done it. It works. I'm trying to sync that singing later. <laughs> Oh, I know. I'm an expert at this. Okay? Okay. So, anyway. um, We are giving away the first book from our series called uh, Moxie by... Where is it? Jennifer Matthews. Thank you. Anyway. um, And a bunch of other feminist goodies. So you can have your own feminist starter pack. And all we ask mm-hmm. is that people write in and tell us why they're a feminist. So we got some good entries. I picked three of them to read. And the last one that I'm going to read is also going to be the giveaway, giveaway winner. So, like, I guess, drumroll, please, for this. And I've been talking a lot, so maybe someone else could read the long one. But I'll, yeah, I'll read the long one. But I'll read the first one. Megan, thank you so much for entering. Megan wrote and in. Listening. And listening. Thank you for that also. I hope you're listening now. Hi. Megan wrote in, I'm a feminist because I think everyone should have equal opportunities. I think it's really important. For real. Agreed. Mary Kay said, This world don't work without us, and it'd be great if we could get to a point where being systematically ignored didn't have to be an issue anymore. You have to read the emojis, too. Emojis. Emojis. Uh, Like a little grimace emoji and then a heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. But yeah. like a, like a, you know, the face. Yeah. That's the sound I hear. Anyway, and now finally our winner. Chloe says, because equality is essential to our existence. Duh. But really, the more I see of the world, the more I realize how absolutely and incredibly lucky I am to be raised by a mom and dad who believed I was just as capable and sometimes more capable than everyone else. My parents never gave me a big talk about gender equality or what it means to be a strong woman, but my dad believed my two sisters and I could do anything. He took us to our hunting camp and we learned to shoot guns at tin cans unless we wanted to go duck hunting, in which case he taught us how to be responsible hunters and only kill what you can clean and eat. He made sure that we would we could change a tire on our own before allowing us to drive. He encouraged my love of books and taught me to cook. My mom showed us that education never ends. She raised us because she loves being a mom. And as soon as I was old enough to take care of myself, she went back to university. And now she teaches special ed. Together, they show me every day what it means to work in a household of equality. Yes, my mom does the dishes and laundry. And my dad cuts the grass and changes the light bulbs. They do what they are comfortable with around the house. And they support each other in every aspect of their lives. And in doing so, they support us. 
I grew up with the unconscious expectation to be treated with respect and to be treated equally. And now I expect the same for everyone else, regardless of religion, race, sexuality, or gender. We need more parents like my parents. Aww. Because of them just being themselves, I am a feminist. That's very sweet. Thanks, Chloe. And thank you so much for that sweet comment. And I will be prepping your special treat. Your special reward. Congratulations, And hopefully Chloe. we'll get some pictures of that later that we can share with you guys so you can see what Chloe yeah. got for being a feminist. And make sure you check out our blog post on Moxie coming to a blog this summer. <laughs> Congrats for being an awesome feminist and thanks to everyone yes. who entered. Yay. Um, what is next on the podcast? Well, let me tell you. Donald Glover. I just wrote down here Donald Glover and True Crime because that sums up our next two episodes. So let me tell you a little bit about our next episode and then I'm going to let Susan tell you about our next, next episode. How about that? So. I'm just, I'm really fighting the urge right now to start singing L-A-N-D-O. You can do that. Lando. Um, so good. Our next other episode is going to be about the new Star Wars joint solo, but really it should be called Lando because mm-hmm. we're all here for Donald Glover. If, if you're not, then get on this train. Get out. Get on the train or leave. <laughs> we're, yeah. Or we'll push you off. Yes. <laughs> get on this train, please. It's, he's so great. Anyway, so I'm very excited. Um, ben is supposed to be getting our tickets to go see that today. So we're going to go on Friday. Yay. Yay. It's going to be great. And then true crime. Tell us about the true crime. Okay. So um, as we announced a couple of episodes ago, <laughs> um, <laughs> the Golden State Killer was recently captured. So we bumped up uh, our selection of I'll Be Gone in the Dark to be our next book instead of waiting until, like, you know, next year or something. So we're going to be reading... Literally next year. Right. We're going to be reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. It's about her kind of obsession with finding out who the Golden State Killer is. And please read along with us because it's true crime, but it's also just, like, super good and kind of about her as well. So anyway, get on that train also. It is on my Kindle. It is ready to go. I'm so excited. And the moment I finish Moxie, I've already been listening to it. I have the audiobook. Yeah, I gotta read Moxie first. You know, I've been doing this whole feminist thing. So, having just done my Bachelorette first impressions this morning, I'm feeling extra hateful about men because that crop of men were not looking strong overall. Also, the commercials are bad. They're like, let's get, Ugh. let's get to it. And she like rips a heart with something? Ari's face I don't on know. it. It's let's wanna, do the damn get, thing. I want to get Todd on board with the Bachelorette. Ugh. I feel like it wouldn't be hard. Yeah, Todd, you should do your first impressions oh too. Let him in on the dock and let him do, do his first impressions. I would love Bad. to see that. Ask a man. So yeah, ask a man ask about a man. these other men. So guys, coming up also on the blog, it's going to be. Our usual, now this is our third time doing it, first impressions of the bachelor con- Bachelorette contestants, and maybe this will be a special Ask a Man edition. Oh, man. We just volunteered Todd as tribute. <laughs> I don't know. I just said it on the podcast, so I think it has to happen. Okay. Listen up, everyone. <laughs> Email us at uh, the squad at booksquadgoals.com. Our website is booksquadgoals.com. We are Book Squad Goals on Twitter. Instagram, 
Facebook. I'm not even going to say Goodreads anymore because we're just not doing it. (laughs) We're going to do it someday. (laughs) Say that every time. But please rate and review us and tell us how terrible our exit was today. No, don't. Tell us how much you love us. Please, if you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or whatever your podcast app is. Todd, are you subscribed? Oh, yeah. Every week I get this. Please rate and review us. Ratings <laughs> will really help us people find us on iTunes. I don't know if you knew that. We want to reach our people. We we really do. All right, bye everybody. Bye. Bye. Parting is such sweet sorrow. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs>